Welcome back to the Second Section Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Dorsch. And tonight we got a special treat. Um, as, jo- as, as always, joining me is our co-host, Mike Osterteg. How, How you doing, doing, Mike? Doing good. How about you? Hey, good. And good. we have a special guest tonight. We do. We do. I don't know how... I don't know the the scheduling gods were kind to us. I don't know how we actually <laughs> managed to uh, con him into coming onto the show. Be honest with you, he's a very busy individual. To be honest, you know, if you know anything about him, he's busy he doing everything. Yeah. So um, our guest tonight is Tom Jacobs, um, and he is a. Um, HO scale modeler, and he has got a a fantastically uh, awesome Redding layout. And Tom, you're in the studio with us this evening. Would you be so kind as to introduce yourself? And then um, I'll put myself on on the little screen. Put you on the big <laughs> oh. screen here. You're on you're on center stage. Would you Would you be okay. so kind to give us an introduction and then talk about uh, what you're modeling and your model sure. railroad? Sure. Well, thanks, Andy. Hey, Mike. Um, Hi. As as Andy and Mike said, my name's Tom Jacobs. I have been uh, a train enthusiast all my life, ever since I was a little kid. Um, I had the the good fortune of of coming from a long line of of railroad men. My grandfather, my great grandfather, and my great great grandfather all worked for the Reading at one time or the other. And, oh. and so when I finally um, got the chance to, you know, build a layout or, or think about building a layout, um, the, the prototype was kind of chosen for me. So oh. I've, I've, been, I've been active in the hobby for about the past 27 years or so. Um, and for about the past seven and a half years, I've been building a, a large... HO scale representation of the Reading Railroads, what they called the cross line, which was the freight line between Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and Allentown, Pennsylvania, right. with the city of Reading and the main classification yard in in kind of the middle of the layout. That's oh, that okay. So all in all, how how many miles are you covering um, with your prototype that you've selected? I'm mod- I, I'm the the section that I've modeled covers I think around maybe 60 miles total from from one end to the other. Okay. Um, you know, everybody always asks me how many linear feet I have and how many scale miles and things like that. I, I honestly haven't measured it yet because there's still a, a very significant section to be built. That being. Reading Yard and and the connections to the rest of the layout, um, but given that I've got you know multiple levels stopped or stacked on one on top of the other, it, it's got to be a couple scale miles at least. Oh my goodness! So, so for for our uh, um, our, our viewers this evening and our our listeners on the audio replay, um, what what is the size uh, the, the dimensions that um, your, your railroads in? Well, um, 
you know, I have a little bit of a, of a unique arrangement in that my layout is actually in a, a 20 by 36 freestanding building that I had built uh, back in 2012 expressly for the purpose of housing the layout. Wow. So the the layout footprint itself is is essentially a little less than than 20 by 36 or 720 square feet. Now it, it's a multi-deck layout ah. and the the building has 10 foot ceilings. So I've got actually in in some sections I have three active levels um you know, one on top of the other. In other parts, I have four or even five with the topmost and the bottommost level being <laughs> the staging yards. That's it's, it, is, it is amazing. I've seen it personally. You've, it is Mike, amazing. You've been there. Oh, yes. Yep. yes. Mike, has, I, uh, Mike has been here. I've actually put some blood, sweat, and tears into that layout. Uh, I have a <laughs> little bit of a personal vested interest in it. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, but, okay, I have a question for you then, Tom. Uh, knowing what I know about your layout, it, it, but yet uh, everybody out there doesn't, you've chosen to do a, a mushroom style of a layout. Is mm -hmm. that correct? Uh, wh yeah. Why did why did you choose to do the mushroom style layout as versus like more of a traditional over under type with all the helixes and stuff like that? Well, it, it's what I the way I describe my layout is. It's a mushroom with an extended cap, if you will. So the bottommost level is, um, you know, if, is in the center of the room, and then it goes into a helix. And when you get to the level above, which faces the opposite direction, everything from that point around, which is, as you can see behind me, there's two levels and then one on top for staging, everything from that point around is around the walls and climbs up. So it's it's actually a hybrid. You know, the, the first yeah. two active levels are, are your traditional mushroom where they're over top of one, about one another, but facing in opposite directions. Um, but then from there on, it just, it's your traditional around the walls, multi-deck, uh, multi-deck type arrangement. Wow, Did that so was that by was that by design to do it that way, or was it something that just became a happy accident as you started the design process? <laughs> it was it was by design because that was the only way to to get the the length of run that I wanted. Number one, and and number two, um, also to keep the the orientation of of west to the left all mm, the way yep. around the layout yep. gotcha yeah that's kind of a hard thing to do with a lot of multi-deck layouts is keep the your compass directions going the, the same the way orient, the orientation yeah, your orientation mm -hmm. is always a hard thing to kind of plug in all the time so so i don't want to dive into the the full um details of the layout just yet tom but i think that's a it sets the stage really well for our main um, main discussion this evening, so um, you have uh, we had Tom Klamoski, um of the Georgia Northeastern on last week, and mm -hmm. he had uh, I think it was a nine by twelve room uh, single deck 
prototype layout of the of the George Northeastern. And now we we have you on the show this evening, which is a polar opposite um, of of Tom. And oddly enough, with the same name, Tom, in in both right. cases. But um, I think I think it's quite interesting that you have a a, a totally uh, you have a building dedicated just to your model railroad, and then on top of that, it's multi deck mushroom hybrid that really is is r- really really a a, a long to accommodate a very long run. And I think that's, I think that's going to be a, a, an interesting thing to unpack later. But so Tom, you're, you're pretty active on social media. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I, I have a, a Facebook page dedicated to the layout and, and I update there uh, almost daily, quite frankly. Uh, I, I've been accused um, by my wife of, of oversharing Um on on my personal Facebook page as well as um, as well as the the page for my layout, which is right there. It's Tom Jacobs 1970s Reading Company Crossline Layout, um, and and so that's where I post a lot of the photographs of my progress from day to day. Um, there are some videos there uh, when I have something going on that that translates to video nicely. Yes. Um, you know, I'll, I'll put some short videos up. Um, but, um, yeah, I've got about 822, 23 members of the page right now. Yeah. So wow. it's, it's really gone way beyond my expectations in terms <laughs> of the number of people that actually, you know, kind of follow the progress and, uh, and all of that. So, well, I, I've been uh, a member of this group for, for quite some time now. And I, I, you know, I just want to say that your your group is not only just well curated content that that gets put out there, but it's actually um, very inspiring for me um, to to go out there and see your progress on almost a daily basis. Um, and your your hashtag hour a day. Um, every yep. time I see that come up in one of your posts, that kicks me in the butt a little bit to be like, you know what? I can go do something today on the model railroad. And that makes me so mad whenever I see those. I, I love it. <laughs> I, I absolutely love it. Um, because for me, it's a, it is a, um, it is a motivated, um, it's, it's a motivator for me to, you know, keep, keep working as well. well so thanks well, me, there. <laughs> me too, because every time I see it, I'm sitting on the couch watching TV and then I got to get up. I'll be back in a little bit. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to take sole credit for, for the concept because, um, there, you know, there, there are a lot of other modelers out there that have, you know, both, both in the hobby press, as well as others that, you know, I've just met through, through social media or whatever that, you know, have stressed that, you know, the way to, um, you know, make progress on a big project like this on a large layout is you have to do something every day, right? you know, and, and whether that's 15 minutes, a half an hour, um, you know, I've, I've tried to dedicate at least an hour a day, usually in the evenings to doing something, you know, maybe, maybe I can't, um, you know, do a whole big project, but I can come out here and, you know, put resistors on, on wheel sets for freight cars or, you know, um, 
I can, you know, do some track work or I can program some signal logic on the CTC panel. There's always something that can be done. And, you know, I know you want to get to other stuff, but I'll just, you know, no, conclude no, keep, the thought keep with, going. with, keep with going. The, I, the thing. And I kind of hit on this the other day and I actually posted something to this effect. The, the cool thing with, with this hour a day concept is that it can be whatever you want it to be. You yeah. know, if, if you don't feel like wiring, okay, don't wire, do that next week, come do something else. So I would, the other day I was, um, uh, I was printing out waybills and car cards and things and, and designing the waybills for the layout. And that took me, you know, about an hour, an hour and a half to get everything just the way I wanted it. And I did that over in my house in the office. Um, you know, so it, it, it can be whatever you want it to be. The point is to do something every day and bit by bit, all of those hours a day, those half hours, they will add up into real progress. And, and you to, to your point, Mike, you know, it does take discipline. You know, there there are days right. where like last night, you know, I for whatever reason, um, I just was physically tired. And it's like, I, you know what, I, I wound up going to bed at nine o'clock and it's like, you know, I'm, I'm just not, I'm not going to go out to the barn tonight. I'm too tired. Yeah. But I was up at five o'clock this morning and I was, I was out here um, working on, you know, I was out here uh, putting an LED strip together. So it, it does take discipline. Um, Have you gotten to a point where you've gotten a kind of a round robin list of things that you want to do so you don't burn yourself out on doing the same thing over and over again every day for like however long and you end up getting <laughs> <laughs> uh, see I I know how Tom thinks I I know better than to ask that question. It's, it's funny you should say that. <laughs> um, this is my uh, my little <laughs> notebook. My twenty. This is actually twenty twenty one. It's now twenty twenty two. But um, oh, you could show that you know. sticker. By the way, it's okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but this yeah. is my this is my list of uh, of things that that you know. It's it's basically a long punch list of anything that comes up as we're we're out here working and and as I get to these things. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily tackle them in order. And actually, several of these are already done. I need to revisit this. I cross them off and it's just a running list. And, and that that's way, a great idea. you know, that way I have, you know, I, I have something to to focus my uh, my attention on. You have like a daily guideline then for kind of, so to speak, you have a you have a, a to do list, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but if if I, you know, honestly, if I don't feel like doing anything on this list, I'll find something else to do. <laughs> There's always something else to do. Yeah. yeah. So Tom, I want to I want to filter in a couple of uh, questions from from our uh, uh viewers this evening here in the live stream. So Humanity Junction uh Heath there um asked, "How do you convince your wife to spend so much time working on the railroad?" Um but I think I think if I could paraphrase that question for Heath is how do you how do you balance? How do you do that balance of of keeping the you know the the work, the family and the model railroad all kind of up in the air at the same time? Well, um you know there's there's a couple things. Uh number one, both our kids are grown. 
Sure. So, you know, we don't have a lot of the, the challenges of, of um, you know, taking care of kids or, or anything like that. Um, part of it, to be honest, is my wife has a really weird work schedule in that she starts her work day at quarter of five in the morning. So she's up at 3.30 in the morning to get ready to go to work, which means she's in bed by 8, 8.30. Sure. Every night, you know, so there's nobody else home. She's asleep. It's just me and the cats. So out to the barn, I <laughs> go, I barn. can get a good, yeah. I can get a good, you know, two and a half, three hours in before I go to bed. Um, so there's that, but you know, there are, um, there are times where, you know, on weekends it's like, all right, uh, you know, I've done stuff during the week. The weekend is family time. So no trains, right. you know, nobody's coming over for a work session or things like that. And it's, it's all about, it's all about communication and, and, you know, finding that, that happy medium. But, you know, I have to say that Deb, my wife is incredibly supportive and incredibly tolerant of of the hobby um <laughs> and and i think part of it you know part of it is you know she knows where i am i'm either down in my office working or i'm out here you know sure. i don't i don't golf i don't bar hop so i'm either i'm either in the house or i'm out in the barn so sure you know she yeah. knows where to find me that's that's fantastic and i think this this is a great um introduction tom and um so I think I think this this hour a day topic that we're talking about uh, really segues nicely into what's on our workbench segment. So um, for those that are new to the show here, uh, typically after introductions, we're going to go through and uh, everyone who's on the show here is going to talk about what they've been working on uh, model railroading wise, and then Mike's going to uh, host his segment called the short line of the show, and then um, I know we kind of dove head first into Tom and his railroad, but we're going to come right back into that. And um, we're going to really unpack, you know, some of the things about his, his model railroad, the building, the design, uh, the prototype features that, that he's doing. And then I think there was another question from Eric at IMRRO.com um, asked to say, Hey, can we ask him about operations? And I think, I think uh, Tom, I think that would be something that uh, we really love to, uh, talk about this evening with you if you're cool with that. Sure, I've got I've got plenty to to talk about about operations. Yeah, and so. then um, so then on on top of on top of that, anyone who's out there, we got 41 people uh, out wow. there in the chat this evening. Yeah, it's it's a, a big crowd tonight. So if you guys have any questions, and I'm just going to throw the gauntlet down right now to say, all right, let's. You know, let's keep it model railroad and relate it to, to a degree. Let's keep the politics and all the other BS out of it tonight. Um, and then otherwise, otherwise I got to boot you and that's no fun. So let's, uh, let's keep it, uh, let's keep it good tonight. And then if you have any questions for Tom, put them in the chat. I'll try and get as many of them up on screen as I can um, as we go through this. But um, Tom, since you're our guest this evening, um, why, um, Let's let's dive right into our first scripted segment here of what's on your workbench. Um, you got a pretty impressive layout behind you. Um, what have you been working on um, outside of that? Well, right now, wheel sets. Wheel sets. 
and you probably can't see it on the webcam, but uh, oh, oh yeah, hey. yeah, you can you can see it a little bit there. There you go. I'm uh, putting putting resistors on uh, putting resistors on wheel sets so that um, I bought a over the past couple of months I've I've acquired a bunch of freight cars because as I was staging um, staging the layout and things I realized I didn't have enough freight cars if you can imagine wow. that. Um, but, um, so as, as part of, as part of that, since I'm, I'm building a, a signal system and a CTC panel, mm-hmm. I need, uh, occupancy detection on okay. all my cars. And you do that with a resistor on the wheel set to have a current detector pick up the, the presence of a car. So, um, the past couple nights I've been putting, the little 10 K surface mount resistors on the wheel sets and using, um, this electric paint stuff from Amazon to bridge the, the resistor to cause the, the detector to, um, to go off when the train is in the block. That's a great idea. Well, that's a good idea. <laughs> where did you get, I, I'm, where'd you get, where'd you get, where'd you get the, the paint from? Well, the the paint he the, got from Amazon, right? The paints from the paints from Amazon. Hashtag not sponsored, right? <laughs> right. And <laughs> the resistors come on a reel. Um, I think I got these either from um, Mouser or Jameco. Sure. One of the one of the big uh, electronics houses, but they come on a belt. Uh, there are. How many are there? There's 5,000 on this belt. Oh my gosh. And I'm not going to need them all. So, <laughs> uh, I do two, I do two resistors per car, one on each. Okay. Truck. Um, so I'm going to have plenty left over. So when I'm done, I'm going to put the remainder on eBay or something. There you go. That's awesome. So that's, so that's, that's a thing that's going to keep you busy. I mean, how many cars have you done and how many do you have left to go? I mean, ballpark it. (laughs) Right now, I I have, um, there are 360 cars in my database that have been (laughs) through, um, you know, they've been through the the obstacle course that we use to check weights, coupler heights, all that, and make sure that the resistors work. So we have 360 in the database right now. And I want to say this new batch that I'm working on is about 30 cars. So, um, you know, that, that's close to 400 cars right now. I still don't think that's going to be enough because as I said, I haven't, um, I haven't built, uh, I, I haven't built the, um, Reading yard yet, the main classification yard. So, oh my gosh. um, I may need some more. Uh, oh my. Yeah. That that is okay. So that's first of all, 360 cars is is pretty impressive. And then you you have you put them through a process as well. So you just don't mm-hmm. you just don't set it and forget it with your 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 uh, wheel sets. You you actually make sure that they're operational before they go into into service. Is that right? Yep. Yep. We um we check the coupler heights. We check the weights. We check. The, the wheels to make sure they're engaged. We check the the trucks to make sure they swing appropriately and, and all mm-hmm. of that stuff. Um, we'll add weight if we have to. Um, 
Yeah. And, and we, you know, every, before a car is, is ready for service, it has to go through that gauntlet. Yeah. And that's, so there's, there's another thing that, you know, if you had a half hour of downtime, you know, you could sit even in front of the TV and, and do some of that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I, I, you know, I, I will confess, uh, it, it back in, in 2020 during the early stages of the pandemic, when, uh, all of our work was remote. I was on a lot of conference calls and there were times if I didn't need to be on the camera during the conference call, I would pay attention and take notes on the call with one hand and the other hand would be <laughs> pulling wheel sets out of cars. And on my lunch break, I would sit there and, and glue resistors on and paint with the wire paint and it's I got all a about, lot done that way. It's all about prioritizing. It's a, yeah, yeah, right. That's what it is. <laughs> so, so that's that's fantastic. Um, so is so that I'm gonna I'm gonna use this as a segue talking about doing stuff on your lunch break. I was just talking to Mike about doing stuff on on the um, on the lunch break, and and so that segues into you being in the hot seat for what's on your workbench. Oh boy, what do what have you been up to, Mike? Well, I have right here, I have my handy-dandy little, well, this is going to be upside down. I have my handy-dandy little organizer here for, this has got all my Sergeant Coupler parts in it. And so I've been building Sergeant Couplers a little bit at a time here lately, um, just because I've had some downtime. And yeah. so I figured, well, I might as well occupy the time doing something like that. Yep. But when it comes to being at home, I, and Tom knows me and, 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 and Andy, you know me well enough. I, I got a bug up my butt here <laughs> the other day. And for some reason I had turned around and I looked up at the top shelf of my, my, where my freight cars were. And I saw my, boxes with my brass river raisin s scale brass cabooses on it and i thought boy i should really start working on one of those and so i did and i'm going to share my screen in here quick uh sure so yeah while, it, this is so while you're pulling that up there's a there's a couple of questions uh that i want to filter in real quick yep um so uh, one was from Humanity Junction. Uh, do you weigh your? Uh, this is back to Tom. Do you weigh your cars uh, based on the recommended NMRA weights? Yeah, yeah. For the for the most part, we base it on the standard, and then we add, you know, we add like a half ounce. We 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 tend to weigh the cars a little bit heavier, um, sure. just to make sure they track well. Yeah. And then um, I don't. Let's not answer this one right now, but I do want to bring it up. Uh, Wigwag Workshop uh, said, "I don't understand the mushroom concept." So, um, let's put a pen, uh, a pin in that one, and we'll get back to it once we go into the deep dive of Tom's layout. So, okay, we will answer that question. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that we address it um, in the in the in the topics here as we as we cover them as they come up in the chat. So, uh, sorry, Mike. We'll kick it nope, back. No to problem. You. All right, you here we go. Screen. Yeah, I'll sh I'll reshare it. All right, here's the Milwaukee Road had several of the ribside cabooses and River Raisin products uh, or River Raisin models, I think it is. They produced a 
1949 variation of this of their cabooses which was a very small i believe it was only 45 or 50 cabooses total uh so it was a very small variation on them and as you can see here on this picture they have the teardrop or like i guess an angled rain vent over the windows uh let's see that's that's so that's the way the model comes a smaller half size window that's dropped down a little bit and then all the windows and stuff like that well with me modeling in the 80s these were in service obviously you can see this this photo here says it's 1987 so i decided to start making the modifications to this well this 99 2039 um this actually came through green bay it was one of the ribside caboose in 1949s that was in general mainline service so it could be found almost on any train going anywhere as a general rule so i thought well i've got a photo someplace on my computer and i can't remember where i have it but i do have it where it's in iron mountain michigan which meant it had to go through green bay so i was looking at it and lo and behold well this is one side and the other side for whatever reason the Milwaukee Road decided to put a screen window over the window. There was another, another, there was another uh, uh, track here underneath the window, but in this picture in 1985, obviously you can see that it's been removed and it's all gone. But the top track is still there as a rain, like cap or rain gutter, whatever you want to call it. So what I decided to do is I was going to mimic that and try to model that so i played it over the windows using styrene just some twenty thousand styrene yeah I and that's that. it so the windows are plated over so what that'll do is that's going to enable me to just do whatever i want to on the inside without having people trying to stare in there um i haven't decided if i'm going to do something in the bay window section try to scenic that part or put like seating in it i, I very well may by the time it's all done but the other side, and I don't recommend doing this unless uh, <laughs> unless you're relatively confident in what you're doing because I just went and did it without thinking. So the other side, as you can see, I, I ground off with my Dremel tool. I ground off the because the, that rain gutter was cast on. I ground it off. And then I put on there a piece of uh, brass L. Um, and that's all I did. I just glued it on there. Wow. And then capped off or closed off the windows. And then the other thing that I'm in the process of doing is if you look, it's kind of hard with my microphone right here, but right in this, in this corner right here, if you look right there, there's a little red there's a light there, and then the one in the center. The one in the center you can see is silver. That's going to get removed. But the one in the corner, that has an LED in it. It will have an LED in it. This one does. But it's going to be a solid red LED that I mount a reed switch to the inside of the window. Uh, so that way... Uh, I can turn one end of the car on or the other, depending on which way I have the car sitting on the layout. 
And so in which direction that car is actually traveling. So the red light, it doesn't blink. It's just an on-off function. That's it. Um, yeah. There are there are no track pickups. So I am going to, in all likelihood, mount a 9-volt battery to the inside of it. Hmm. And just run it right off a 9-volt battery. A 9-volt battery should last a long time. <laughs> as long as I turn those LEDs off every time, I would sure. think. So sure. that other than that, I haven't been working on a whole lot. Uh, that's that's pretty much taking up most of my time right now until I decide to get tired of this, doing this and I put this <laughs> off to the side and I go to the next thing. <laughs> what, a, and, what about what about you? What are you? Because I know well, you've been working so, on hold some on. things. So before, well, before yeah. you're not out of the hot seat just oh, yet. Oh, come on. So we got to go back to Tony Dixon. Uh, he had a couple of questions for you. I want to make sure I get these in there. Uh, so what other detail items uh, will be occupied uh, in the engine shed area on your layout? Oh, yeah, the engine shed. I got to go back to doing that, too. I actually have to take that to the Twin Cities uh, Modelers Retreat here. Uh, coming up on uh, March 12th, uh, shameless plug, hashtag not sponsored. Hashtag not sponsored. Um, so I haven't got that far yet. Okay. Um, I know there's a, a, Tony was gracious enough to send me a really nice, uh, like a toolbox. There's going to be some welding carts in there and they're going to be like uh, i think i'm going to have a couple cases like crates that look like they have uh somehow i'm going to come up with uh brake shoes and stuff like that to make it look like there's just basic engine house type of things <laughs> uh but i haven't really put a whole lot of thought into that yet i'm still trying to wrap my head around how i'm gonna connect all the wiring for the lights in that thing because Ugh. Spaghetti I junction. Well, I went ahead and I was over at the hobby, our local hobby shop here the other day, and I bought a, a was how many feet is this? It's a fifty foot spool of thirty gauge magnet wire. So that's pretty much what these LEDs have got on them. So I'm gonna wow. kind of, I'm gonna, I don't think I'll use all fifty feet, but knowing me, you never know. Well, you could pull those together with Tom's resistors and have a nice little <laughs> bundle pack on eBay. Right. Well, you guys could split the, <laughs> split, the, split the winnings on eBay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things. My biggest hang-up is trying to figure out where I want to connect everything together it, because I can make it look like conduit running down and I can make it look however to get it down to a certain point. But then where where does that, tie into everything else and how does all that it's that's kind of the hang so i've got that off to the side right now because my brain just hurts looking at it sometimes so <laughs> it's on but the too hard pile it is on the too hard. hard that's a good point it is very much on the too hard pile uh so other than that uh yeah that's that's all i've been working on really all right well you'll have to make sure to get your uh um what is that? You see it on every traveling layout in every engine house that's out there. Is the guy with the welder? You got oh yeah, the guy, the guy with the, the welder. I gotta have the guy flat. Even though there's nothing in the building, there's gotta be a guy sitting there welding on nothing. Yeah. So yeah, it's you what, know, it's, uh, it's, if it's, if you listen to the Crossing Gate podcast um, put on by Tom Gazier and the folks in the Twin Cities division of the NMRA, right? 
the gruesome casket. Gru- yeah, mandatory <laughs> things to have on your layout is the gruesome casket company, a gazebo, the car uh, parade, the car parade. The yep. ca- yeah, just the random, the random <laughs> car parade of every car on your model railroad out on the streets. Yeah, and then what the, was the, the last one? The uh, Five thousand model T's. That yeah, one, right. you had that yeah. One. So I think I think Tom's got the opportunity here to add the uh, the uh, welding, the welder just you know hanging out. Yeah, in the, the welder in the, doing in the back nothing. shop by himself. So, anyways, yep. good stuff, Mike. Thanks. Um, I'll play along here um, real quick. So, a um, couple things that I I have on my workbench here. Um, just we're we're dusting, um, we're dusting off the old uh, Accurail uh, car. Um, so I, I just re- released a, a build and review video for Model Railroad News on on this Accurail car, and um, we're gonna we're gonna um, in our in the next video that I put out on my other YouTube channel, we're gonna go ahead and uh, weather that. We're gonna add some FRA strips to it, and then add some graffiti to it as well. So that's a new thing. Um, that's a new thing for me is to do graffiti on a car. So that's the one of the things that I'm, I'm working on. And then the second thing, I know I talked about this on the podcast once before. So this is, um, I, I've been working on the Pulpwood Gone for the uh, Sioux Parts. Uh, it's Mike Paulsgrove. Um, his his offering for this, this Sioux Line Thrall Pulpwood Gondola that's completely 3D printed. And then the bottom of it is got see-through grates. Um, you know, for easy cleaning of, of pulpwood. And um, it's got some real fine detail. And of course, um, so I got, um, if, if you remember the hamburger helper guy, um, basically my fingers um, are, you know, about as fat and round as the hamburger helper glove. And so handling models is pretty difficult for me. And I smash some of the, some of the ladders on there. So um, I, I'm going to be uh, uh, redoing some of that, but this kit's, uh, it took me about an hour to build um, when I had time with it. And I got to say, I'm really impressed with uh, like the, the rivet details and the ladders and, and just the, uh, the other, the other 3d printed things right on the model. So uh, this is hashtag not sponsored by the way. Um, is there a place to put weight in that empty, like there is on on the empty cars with the grate uh, with the open yeah. grate concept? Yeah, there is. There's a there's a weight replacement uh, piece casting that uh, comes with it, um, but the car is actually quite heavy on its own right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's as heavy as any of my exact rail or um, other gondolas that I have that are. Uh, you know, like the Athern stuff too. So um, I will add weight when I do the pulpwood load. Um, so I'm going to take that weight that's in there uh, that came with the kit and uh, the, the slab, you know, that little piece of metal stock that they give you. And I'm going to add that to the, um, add that to the, the pulpwood load and I'll hide it inside the real sticks that I use. See, and then we got just just to to get everyone out there. We got Split Rock in the uh, out here tonight. That's Tom out there. <laughs> Gruesome Casket is available in all scales. Yeah. So um, all you got to do is look under somebody's table. It's there someplace. Yeah, someone has it. I'm pretty sure that when I bought this house, um, there's a there was a model of that somewhere in the house here. So, and then the last thing. Um, so my my five year old son asked me to show this on the podcast tonight. So. Um, we went to the Madison 
uh, train show uh, was a, a couple weeks ago, and uh, we purchased a, a new F unit. It's an Athern Genesis uh, deal here, Milwaukee Road, 92 Ooh. Charlie. Um, and so this this matches our, our little um, business train that we're putting together. Um, he's he's an, starting to be a Milwaukee Road fan, and he doesn't know it yet. So I'm uh, really excited about it. That's a good kid. That's a good kid. I'm worried that CPS is going to be calling me pretty soon and and wondering what's wrong with him, why he doesn't like being in yellow. But um, anyways, so that's what's been on my workbench. So um, I I just want to go back to to the the folks out in the chat tonight. Uh, Thanks again for joining us. And then uh, just give you guys a little plug. Uh, Our podcast is available out on iTunes, uh, Google Podcast, Amazon Podcast, and Spotify. Or anywhere else where you can grab uh, your uh, your favorite audio podcast as well, and then be sure to check us out on Facebook. We have a Facebook group, and we actually have a new website where you can send us emails and all that fun stuff. And I'll bring that up on screen now um, for those out there. It's a uh, the second section podcast um, and it is a, a, a horrible, horrible job here uh, on my part, uh, getting, <laughs> getting this put together. However, we do have a website. It's legit out there. Um, so we're going to be adding bios. We have all of our shows out here on YouTube. So if you miss one, you can come back out here. And of course, as we, you know, carry on, we'll, we'll be able to develop this a little more and you can contact us here. So this is, uh, Again, send an email out to the section chief here at the Second Section Podcast. Uh, Mike or I will get back to you as soon as we can. Um, so, again, if you slip us a $5 bill, we'll probably get back to you a little quicker. You go but, right to the front of the line if it's Yeah, you go 10. right to the front of the line. Uh, so, um, just uh, – and uh, the there's a question out there. Um, we're being fact-checked live here. Was that an F7 or an F9? Um, I believe it's an F7. I think it's an F seven uh, P, I'm not or an F F P seven. Is that right? Yeah, it would be an F P seven. I'm not sure what that number is. I I'd have to take a closer look at the engine. I didn't see it real good. Yeah, and then uh, the the website is the uh, second section podcast.com. So we'll go ahead and uh, throw that out in there, and then we have links to our Facebook and all that out there as well. All right, um, let's see here at Second Section Podcast. First time viewer uh, sent here by uh, Heath. Uh, like like, and probably subscribe. All right, probably is better than not subscribe, so we'll take that to the bank. But uh, So just uh, keep the show rolling here. So we're through our, our first two segments of the introductions and the uh, what's on our workbench. So now it is the fan favorite time of the show. It is the uh, short line of the show uh, where Mike is going to take us uh, take us on a little geography lesson across the United States and um, show us uh, an interesting little short line. So Mike, take her away. Okay. Hi. Um, how can I preface this one? Okay, we're going to Colorado. 
we're we're going down through alphabetical order, and I cannot for the life of me remember everything that we've just done. <laughs> but uh, we're in Colorado right now. Uh, the next one, just so you guys all mark it down before I forget, it's going to be Connecticut. We're going to go out east. We're going to finally hit the east coast, and we're going to go and uh, uh, check a uh, railroad out in Connecticut. But I did a little research on Colorado. And Colorado is a pretty interesting state railroad-wise because it, it has a lot of really beautiful scenery. It's got a lot of very um, rolling mountains, and, and it's just – you wouldn't think of it as a short-line area at all. It would be – you think more of it like uh, more through trains and stuff like that going through the mountains and everything. So – when I was doing my research, there are a handful that are owned by uh, like Waco or Patriot Rail and Genesee and Wyoming, just like almost all the rest of the states have been. And then one stood out among all of them. And I'm going to preface this by saying that if you choose to do this and model this railroad, you are A, um, going to be an extremely talented modeler and an extremely patient individual and be in all likelihood an intermediate to beginner modeler. <laughs> now, this is not going to be for the faint of heart. The railroad I have chosen is... I gotta share my stupid screen. I keep forget every year I do. Every time <laughs> we do one it. of these, I forget it. All right, here it is: the Desiree Power Railway. No. Have not ever heard. Have never heard of it. You may say <clears throat> it is a railroad that is a cut off from the rest of society line. It does not connect. I don't believe with any other railroad. It is approximately 35 miles long, 33, it says here, 39.4 miles worth of track. Um, and it goes from a mine on one end to a power plant on the other end. Pretty simple, wow. you might say, right? Yeah. Here's the entire railroad. Oh. Here's, here's, <laughs> here's the mine. So hold on, hold on a sec, Mike. Yes, a yes. Adam, Adam Cruz, he guessed it. He no. guessed the short line of the show. Yes. Did yes. he really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Now we got, so this is the best production we've had yet um, with the, <laughs> the infinite screen there. That was really good, Mike. Sorry. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, we have to get that out there for the audio people, too. They, they, they love yeah. seeing that on the audio replay. That was a joke. So, so, so. Here's the mine. It's the Blue Mountain Energy Mine. We're just going to zoom right down in on top of it there. And this is a conveyor belt that runs from the mine up to the, the loop, which is the loadout. Oh, man. Okay. A and as you can see, here's, and here, as you can see, here is the shops and engine facility. They run 35 to 45 car trains, approximately. Oh, did I fail to mention, this is an entirely electric railroad? No. Yes. Wow. It used to be 
the Desiree Western Railway. It is a it is a wholly electric operation, and they use E sixty Cs as their power. They bought a bunch of them from Mexico, that your former NDM units, and they okay. have two, and they have two that were of their own. Wow! And is that not a sharp looking paint scheme? Does that not like scream the Houston Astros to you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's. it's- in, in like 1983. In like yeah. 1983, right, exactly. But now, this is why I said it is an extremely simple railroad that is going to be very difficult to build because these engines are not available in this configuration. It's, they are double. Uh, I'm going to see if I can't try to find it. Uh, they're, they're not. They're double-ended. Both of them, they are. But yet, they uh, American GK was the last company to build these, and I think Walters or Atlas may have done a passenger version of these. But you, you, they're hard to find. Wow. Yeah, I found this. I found this, and I thought this is so cool because. If you were had wanted to build a railroad that had some, if you just wanted to run a train around the layout or around the room, this would be like the perfect railroad to do it. Mm-hmm. Because you have a loop on one end with the shop facilities here. Then you go through some gorgeous scenery. And then out in the middle of nowhere, they're they're really literally it doesn't even hardly cross any roads. Uh somewhere right here, there is a passing siding. That's the most detail. It's a single track main line. Yeah. And then on the other end, you go all along the whole thing. And at the other end of it, let's get down to it. You go across into Utah. And at the other end is a desert power plant or Desiree power plant, which is just another loop. And then they have, and then they do have, uh, I believe they have a phosphorus. They do something with phosphorus in these cars right here. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it, I'm not sure if it's, I'm not sure exactly how it relates to the rest of the railroad. So, but, but that's the whole railroad. It's so, two loops. Yeah, so there's okay, so so it's two loops and just one other question, does that mine have any outbound or any contact to the other to the outside world where those those phosphorus cars are? Or is that I, it? I think that might be it. Um oh, unbelievable. Be, there's some cars there. They they almost look like they're being loaded there and I'm not sure how their operations work. Um, there's a few empty cars right here. Mm-hmm. This is just a stub track and it's just a loop that goes from one, from the mine back to the power plant. But the scenery is absolutely gorgeous. It's, yeah, right. it's, it, it, if you wanted to dip your toe into, uh, into doing some, some scenery. Yeah, that's. It's big time, big time, 
big time vistas, you know, you know, type scenes there. I'm gonna guess they have a couple of a tunnels there too, right? Uh no, everything is as far as I can tell, everything is flat open. So uh just uh, Ken Ken N has a quick question. So those yes. locomotives, what kind are they again? They're an E60C. An E60C, and it they're sounds built like by General Electric. They're built by General Electric. Uh, JS is in the chat. He says Bachman sells the E60 shells. Uh, find a good drive, and it's a start. Yep. So, I mean, I mean, you. It is definitely a railroad, and they have five bay rapid discharge hoppers uh, that you can use. I mean, look at that scenery. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really it. So you could do it on a four by eight, um, and then, and then Tom, you know, he could dispatch it for you. Yep, um, absolutely. Tom, Tom Gazier said uh, he could dis dispatch a layout like this. So I think, uh, you know, I think from an operation standpoint, you have it yep. covered. But this is, I mean, this is fantastic. Nice little uh, mountain railroad. Um, yeah, you know. I, I mean, it's it's just. It was one of those things that just kind of caught my eye that when when I was going through and looking at Colorado short lines, they all were kind of the same. There's a couple out there that were like had locations in like three or four different spots, but nothing really connected. And they, yeah. I was just like, nah, that. And then this came popped up and I thought, this is sharp. This is yeah. really, really slick. And, and for if somebody wanted to, to try their hand at Canton and, and powering a cantonary, uh, you know, it go ahead, you know, using pan, the pantograph as part of the, uh, your power source, which a lot of the trolley guys, um, like, like to do. Um, but here you're looking at, a, a again, similar to the last railroad we did, it's only one type of car, mm -hmm. one basic type of locomotive, uh you can you can do it very simply like like you said with a four by eight sheet of plywood and maybe put a loop at each end yeah and and it would still allow you to do things like model the uh modeling the power plant modeling the engine facility um here here actually is a roster of their locomotives so you can find it all on wikipedia it, it it's all there's a ton of information about about the railroad out there is that Wikipedia um, or is that utah rails this is utah rails yeah yeah utah rails is uh they're pretty good with stuff like this uh yeah. and it i just kind of thought you know what the electric guys they don't really get a lot of love in the model railroad industry and and i thought everybody always thinks about the northeast corridor and all that kind of happy stuff yeah i this is this is pretty cool if you ask me, you know. So So we we do have a question from Happy Valley Hobbies out there Mike it says are the operations automated or did you That is a good on? question. I do not know the answer to that. Um <laughs> I would oh. I would assume I would assume that they are not but in today's day and age who knows they are an industry an industrial railroad, so they may or may not be subject to the federal regulations that, uh, like most of your class ones and your 
other railroads are because they are cut off from the rest of the world, basically. You know, so it, it they don't have a connection to anybody else. They are they are themselves. Mm-hmm. So uh, I do not know if they they are an automated operation. I would assume that at this point that they are not yet, quite yet, but um, it it is possible they could be. Yeah. Uh, so, th- so we're getting a lot of good comments here from the the chat about it, um, and Scott Thornton. Uh, is with us this evening, and he says uh, there's some nice uh, YouTube videos of that railroad too. So, um, you know. yeah, and they're loud. They're loud. loud. These these engines are loud. This is before they uh, got renamed. Uh, when the, this is the way their engines look. These are actually the only two units they had for a long time. Hmm. Uh, and then they bought the uh, NDM units. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's just. Oh, it's- <laughs> I, I would have, I mean, for me, I, I always enjoy this segment of the show because I, first of all, I learn something every time. And so at least I get entertained out of this, you know, uh, bit <laughs> of the show. Um, and it's just, for me, it's, I'm, I get to learn about things that I've never even heard of before. And this is, this is really, really uh, a cool short line, Mike. Yeah. It, I, it, it kind of, it almost checks every box, doesn't it? It, it, yeah. It does. It, it's it's. There's a lot of sensory overload looking at these pictures. To be honest with you, um, you you. For me, I can take a lot of different scenic elements out of each one of these photos, like the little like the little outcry or the what do you call that? Yeah, here? Just like, oh, the... like a coolie type of thing, like we would right. call it up here on the Mississippi River Valley, like, but uh, in the mountain or the hills, and just the way it it hugs that ridge and stuff. It just, I think it would be really, really kind of a neat, a neat model. So, so that if anybody's got any questions, I'd be glad to try to answer them. But if not, that is your short line of the show, the Desiree power railroad or railway. There you have it. That is really, really good, Mike. I, I like that one. That one's definitely in the in the top three, I think, so far for me. Well, thank you. Uh, so, yeah. so when are you going to change your? I knew I knew you were going to say that. It's not. I'm not. I I tell you what. If you'd have heard the last one, I was I was yeah, bonkers over bit. that. You almost bit on the last one, the California oh, one that we no, did. The one in California, three and a half miles long, Tom, and nothing oh, but lumber cars. Go number yeah it was it was perfect it was two switch engines yeah (laughs) that's it so thank you mike for that and thank you tom for uh hanging out and and being patient with us as we as we reignite um, it was fun yeah it was fun i I always loved that part of the show um so now now (laughs) now tom you are officially in the hot seat um let and, me add them. Yeah, Mike has got a <laughs> bevy of questions. Um, so uh, for those who joined us late, we have uh, Tom Jacobs with us this evening joining us. And um, he's he's a HO scale modeler who um, is, is modeling the Redding Company, uh, specifically the cross line um, in the 1970s. And he has a dedicated building for his model railroad. It's a 20 by 36 uh, freestanding uh, uh, building. You got that and right the first time. Yeah, I wrote it down. See, I've 
I've been taking notes here so I can answer questions. <laughs> and then we got to thank our hashtag not sponsors. Um, you know, so I got to do my Bob Euchre speech here at the end and all that. Oh, yeah. But um, so, so Tom, um, let's, let's dive right into it. Mike, you got, you got some questions, folks out in the chat. If you have questions about Tom's layout, get them out there and I'll get them up there. Um, I'll go into production mode here. So Mike have at it. Okay. So <laughs> I have been at, I have been to your railroad. I have been to your layout. I have actually put some of my own blood into that, into that layout. You have. I have, uh, I have, I have been whipped and, uh, told to get something <laughs> done and it, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And if I, and if I recall, we fed you well. Oh my God. I think I got <laughs> out of there 10 pounds heavier. Uh, being fed well was, uh, that's an understatement. I think you had a, you had a cheese steak for lunch and then we went to the railroad house oh, for dinner. Oh yeah. Boy, I was, I was, it was a, it was a good, that was a good time. Thank you very much. Uh, my my number one question is, we covered it a little bit in the introduction as to how you got, you know, you obviously you have a family history with the mm -hmm. Redding and, and, and more specifically kind of a, your family history kind of coincides with the reason why you chose the cross line or did you choose the cross line? For another reason. Um, yeah, the the um, my family members, my my ancestors, they were all shop guys. They all worked in the uh, the locomotive shops at Reading. My grandfather was a machinist, and later an air brake inspector. And my grandfather and or I'm sorry, my great grandfather and great great grandfather were both boiler makers wow. they, they they worked on on reading steam so um you know they're they didn't um the fact that they worked for the the reading um didn't necessarily influence the choice of of what part of the reading to model but between the family connection and and the fact that i grew up within spitting distance of, of Reading Yard um, when I was a kid, you know, I, I had no, I had no choice. I mean, so that I used, kinda... to ride the, used to ride the Reading, um, you know, down to Philly. It, we would, we would, uh, when I was a kid, we would take the train out of, um, out of Philly, um, or I'm sorry, out of Reading, go down to Philly for the day, come back at night. Um, so yeah, so I had no, uh, I had no choice, but, but to model the Redding, um, which, you know, for, for those that, that don't know, um, the Redding line, well, actually, let me take a step back. So the, the, the line I'm modeling, which is, is informally called the cross line is the Redding's east west freight line between, Rutherford, which is right outside of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, through Reading, and then on to Allentown. And that line is still in use by um, by NS today. It, it's their, their Harrisburg line. And at one time, they were calling the section between Reading and Allentown. They called that the Reading line. 
I think it's called something different now, but, but it is, um, it is still a, a very busy freight artery for, for NS. It's, it's the gateway to Hagerstown on the West and it's the gateway to Allentown, um, New Jersey, New York, New England on the East from Allentown. So, um, you know, back in, in Reading days, it was part of the alphabet route. Um, mm. you know, so it yep. was, it was a very, very busy bridge line. Um, now the reason, um, the reason that I chose that section of Reading to model, there were a couple reasons. Number one, um, everybody thinks of the Reading as a coal hauler. Um, and they were, you know, they, they were America's largest anthracite carrier. Um, you know, they, they made their, they made their fame and fortune back in the 1800s and early 1900s hauling anthracite out of central, north central Pennsylvania. Um, but after World War II, in the latter half of the 20th century, that traffic dropped off precipitously and the east-west bridge traffic became more and more important to the survival of the railroad. And so why did so why didn't you model that time and era that, rather than the era that you model cuz you're modeling what like pretty close to almost the end of the right before yeah. Conrail, right? So I'm modeling just... I'm modeling um the 1970s specifically late 1973 early 1974. Um, and that's uh, that's a couple of years before a couple of years before Conrail before then. Conrail. But the Reading, the, the railroad was still um, in bankruptcy during that time and, and was trying to, you know, they were fighting for their life at that time. Um, so um, I am a, a diesel fan. And, and so, um, oh, boy. Sorry, guys. Oh. Um, so we're getting a couple of questions, Tom, from from the map here, or for uh, uh, for us Midwestern folks on on the on the on the live stream this evening. Uh, okay. wh where where are we in the world um, on your on your model uh, railroad? So um, I'm going to go ahead and just let's see if I can actually operate this effectively. Um, fit the page. Do do do. Um, and then let's see here. We'll zoom in a little bit. Um, so why don't you orient us as to where we uh, are here? Nope, that's that's motive power. Um, so here's the map, right? And here's Redding. Yep. So which is the center. So the the if you if you look at the the red line that goes diagonal from top left down to lower right, that is the original main line of the Reading Railroad between Pottsville and Philadelphia down in the lower right corner. That was the original line that was built starting in, in 1983. Um, from there, all of the blue lines were a whole bunch of different branches to um, throughout what, what we here in Pennsylvania call the coal regions. That's where there were a, a lot of um, you know, it's fairly mountainous. It's, it's, you know, the, the Appalachians. And so, um, a lot of coal, a lot of mines, a lot of breakers, all of that stuff. The yeah. green line that goes predominantly from East to West. Um, if you look 
right there. You just passed Harrisburg. Um, right there. Yep, Harrisburg, and then going to the right. That is that is the cross line. That is the the line that I am am modeling. So, um, if you look at this map, you can you can see, um, you know, the Reading is really the hub of the system. You know, from Reading, you could go in in all four directions. You could go down the main line to Philly, up the main line to Pottsville, and from thence to the coal regions. You could go out to Harrisburg, or you could go. Um, over to over east to Allentown, and from those four corners, you could, you know, connect to the rest of the national rail network. And then the the ones on on in yellow are just some various branch lines that I was looking at when I was considering what to model. Sure. So does I hope that uh, answers. Uh, some of the questions um, out from the from the chat there of uh, where we where are we in the world on Tom's layout? So uh, thank you, Tom, for obliging us on that one sure. um, and, and taking us through the map there. So um, Mike, help me uh, uh, and Tom get back to where 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 are we at here in the line of interrogation? I mean, questioning <laughs> for our guest Tom this evening. Um, uh, I guess. I want to start talking about the about the layout itself. I mean, it because it's having been there, it's you've engineered it very well. And and have you come up with any engineering issues when designing the layout or as you've gone along where on paper, hey, this looks like a great idea, and then you got to that point and it was a total I, I really don't want to bring up the helix, but uh, <laughs> uh, like a total kerfuffle, so to speak, that you were were just, oh, this is totally not going to work the way I thought it was. Um, well, you know, I, I guess the that well, the first the first helix was a nightmare. We won't we won't talk about that. That is <laughs> that is now a, a pile of ash up at my brother-in-law's burn pile. Um, we gave that a Viking funeral. The second helix <laughs> is performing much better. Um, but um, uh, the, you know, the one thing I there there hasn't really been anything that that hasn't worked. You know, there was there was a fair amount of trial and error. Um, you know, but but everything by and large has worked out. I guess the the one thing that if I had to do it over again, um, I you know I built the building or I had the building built in 2012, and and between 2012 and 2014 is when we were in the planning stages, the buying lumber stages, all of that. Um, what I, if I had it to do all over again, and, and I have said this to anybody who's asked, um, if I had to do it all over again, I would have done it in reverse order. Meaning that I, I knew what the footprint of the building could be, both in terms mm -hmm. of what I could afford, what I could get approved on the property, um, not only by the, the local municipality, but also by um, 
management, shall the we finan- say. The, the finance committee. Yes. Right, right. Um, but, you know, what I, so I knew the footprint and, and what I should have done and what I would encourage anybody who, you know, who, whose cheese has fallen off their cracker and is considering going down this path um, is, is do the plan first. And, and the reason I say that is because there were a couple things that created some issues. And, and um, one example is the electrical service panel inside the house. Um, had I known, had I had the plan beforehand, when I built the building, I could have had the service panel put somewhere where it wouldn't inter- where the bench work wouldn't interfere with it. Right now, um, the, uh, the, the, um, the service panel, uh, to get to it, if we would need to, I've had to put a lift out in front of it, which is not a, is not a problem. It's not a deal breaker, but it's just one of those things that it would have been nice to avoid. Um, the same thing with where the door is or, or where the windows are in the building. Um, you know, I originally didn't want any windows in the building, but as a concession to my wife, who wanted something relatively presentable facing the street, we put um, we put windows in. And and I see Tom's question, and and yes, we we did um, consider operations. Uh, I can I can talk about the uh, the planning process. Um, I worked very closely with Bob Sprague. Um, of uh, of bobstrackplans.com he helped not me sponsored. Not, not sponsored, sponsored. not Hashtag. sponsored <laughs> yes um but um you know worked worked very closely with him in the design process and and you know we we looked at um you know we looked at things like uh you know the aisle widths and and where things would go where people would go and, and how people would have to move. And, you know, I'm happy to say that there's, there's really only one real choke point on the layout. And that's down in the lower level where the, the turn back curve for Allen, uh, for Allentown is, is close to the helix. It's about 18 inches. There's an 18 inch square section. That's a little tight everywhere that else. That's kind of right so, over your right shoulder right yeah, there, isn't it? Like Tom, um, so there's a, there's a track plan there. on your yeah. Facebook page. Could I yeah. pull that up and, and share that? Uh, um, screen? yeah, I mean that, that will give you, that'll, the, that will give you the footprint. Although there's, there certainly is a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, differences there now. Page one. Okay. That's the, that's the lower level. That's, that's Allentown staging on the bottom. Um, and, uh, in this, in this loop, the topmost loop, the helix is above that. And then you can see where the turn back loop comes out. They're kind of, uh, that square at the left is actually the access hatch for the ceiling. So you can see where that's coming out. Um, other side, the the left side, Yep, my military left, right. So right. where the where that comes out, that's where the pinch point is. But everywhere else, there's there's you know at least three foot aisles. So we've got oh. we 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 built it for operations, um, you know. And there are and I've operated on on a number of layouts in the area, 
so I kind of had a sense for what worked. Um, and there you can see that that's the, the, the first active level, if you will, that's the East Penn branch between Allentown and, um, Fleetwood. Uh, and then it, that goes into the helix, hmm. um, which takes you up to the, the upper levels. So, so when you were designing all of this, no, you're using your, your operating system is you're using Digitrax, correct? Yes. Yep. Okay. So did you have that Digitrax system in mind when you went to design it and was the electrical portion of the layout, uh, a major consideration or a thought while you were designing the layout or well, is it here's... one of those things that just kind of came along as you built it? Oh, I need this. Oh, I need this. Well, I always, I always knew that I was going to use Digitrax just because a number of the layouts around here that I operate on run on Digitrax. So there's a lot of expertise that I could draw on to get set up and things like that. But here again, as far as the electrical system, um, this is another area where it would have been helpful to have the plan before I had the building built because uh, a mushroom design, and I'll put this up on the screen because I know somebody did have a question about it. Um, a mushroom design is essentially where you have, if you, if you look at a cross section of the layout, um, the, the levels are stacked on top of each other, but they're viewed from opposite sides. So you've got here in the center, this is essentially the stem of the mushroom. And then this part up here is, is the cap. So okay. you, you access these upper levels and you can have as many of these stacked on top as you want. But those upper levels are accessed by a raised floor that you that you um, that you walk up onto and then you walk around. So um, what happened here is when we built the building, um, my brother-in-law and I did the drywall and the wiring and all of that. And so we put the outlets in around the floor at the normal height, you know, whatever code is for. <laughs> For an electrical outlet. <laughs> and then, stupid me, um, you know, I go and design a, a layout that has a, a, thir a raised floor all around the perimeter that's that's 30 inches off the, the floor level. So you buried them. So everything's covered. I, I essentially buried the, um, I buried all the outlets. So what we, what we had to do oh. is, um, is uh, we, we have power strips plugged into those outlets and and um i i sent my children who were much smaller and skinnier than i was i sent them in there to i had them crawl under the uh, the raised floor system to plug the uh, the power strips in and fish them up through the the hole that we cut in the floor <laughs> so we we have a, a question so uh going back to the size and the scheme here uh from sue the milwaukee road do you ever feel uh overwhelmed or have that feeling of where do I start? Um, at one point, I did. Er, early on in in the construction, I can't remember. I want to say it was around 2015, maybe. Um, we ended up taking a, a pretty long break 
um, from doing anything. And, and part of that was, um, you know, due to some family stuff and, and some of that and also being busy with work, but also part of it was, um, yeah, I, I did feel overwhelmed and I felt like I had, I had bitten off, you know, more than I could chew. And, and how are we, how are we going to get to where I, I wanted to go with this? And so, mm. you know, I sat there, you know, for a while kind of feeling sorry for myself and, um, you know, somehow I, I pulled myself out of it and I said, you know what, we, we just got to do this and, and, you know, we'll, we'll eat the elephant a bite at a time. And, and that's what we've been doing ever since. I mean, I've been very fortunate to have, you know, a, a handful of, of guys that have been a huge help. Um, Val Pastilli is my right-hand man. He's here uh, almost every Sunday. He's here most Thursdays while I'm in the house working. He's out here working on things. Um, you know, he's been great. My brother-in-law, James Mattern, you know, he's helped a lot. Um, you know, there's there's a number of other guys. You know, I, I this is by no means, <clears throat> you know, a, a solo effort. Um, so, <clears throat> um, but yeah, it, it, it is intimidating, but... You know, it, it that's where the hour a day concept can come into play as well. Because if you break things into small, manageable chunks, you know, that are an hour a day, um, and, uh, you know, you can, um, you know, you, you just, you just do it today, yeah. you do it tomorrow and, and bit by bit, um, you know, you, you get stuff done and, and sure. the, I mean, I, I would have, on the one hand, I would have thought we would be farther than we were by this point, seven and a half years. But then on the other hand, I feel like I can't believe how much we've accomplished in seven and a half years. Yeah. I mean, so there's, um, yeah, I was going to say, I've, I've been following you for a while now and, um, I'm just, I'm just so impressed with, you know, basically seeing nothing but old or not old, but, you know, just like plywood and, uh, you know, the roadbed was going in and then, so then you put the homosote down and then you started painting that. And now I'm starting to see some of the flavors of operations start to come out, you know, with your panels and, uh, the different car cards. And, uh, I mean, that cripes, you're doing the, the, uh, the resistors in your wheel sets for, for block detection. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's, to have that discipline and dedication, um, it's, it's truly paying off. Cause like, if I look back when I first started following you, you've come a very long way. Um, so it's awesome. been, it's been quite a, it's definitely been quite a journey. So, so I see, I see Tom's question here. Are there any Reading locomotives that you want, but are not available? Um, yes, there actually are. Um, the first thing is, uh, 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 I would love a, a reasonably accurate um, U30C, and Atlas announced those last year that they're going to be coming out with what they call the Phase 1 hmm. U30Cs, um, and those should be here hopefully the end of this year or sometime early 23 or whatever. So I've got some of those on order. 
Um, the other thing, what, the, what scheme are those in? Those are in the yellow and green, ah. the, uh, the yellow and green beeline service scheme. Nice. Ooh, those are going to be, pretty. I love, I love, that's going to be pretty engines. Yeah. And, and that was part of, that was part of what informed my, my era choice as well was after, you know, uh, 1962 and beyond is when everything went to that yellow and green scheme. Yeah. And then in, in 73, 74, they, they brought in the, the what they call the redding green scheme um, for the, the GP39-2s and the GP40-2s. Um, and that what, when those locomotives came out decorated for redding, that was what kind of got me to move the air. I was originally going to model like 1967 so I could have – that's when the redding um, took delivery of all of its uh, second-generation – six axle units like the sd45s the oh, u-boats yep. and then mm. the uh, the c the century the alco century 630s so i was going to model 67 to to be able to model those but then before the penn central merger but then when when the gp40-2s came out atlas i guess was either atlas or atherin was the first and then atherin came out with i guess atlas did too actually came out with the jeep 39-2s in, in that red and green scheme, that's when I decided to move the um, move the era uh, the era forward into that that early seventies time frame. I'm just the gonna... other the other Reading locomotive that I desperately desperately want, but nobody makes, is what they called a uh, an SW twelve hundred M, which um, was the Reading had a lot of of Baldwin switchers. Um, the, um, uh, you know, with the Baldwin end cab switchers, like the S 12s, the DS four, four, one thousands, the VO six sixties, all of, they had every flavor of, of Baldwin that you could ask for, uh, you know, largely because Baldwin was, was right on the Redding. Um, so at one point the, the Redding shipped a bunch of Baldwins to EMD to be rebuilt. And when they came back, they came back as as a hybrid. They had the Baldwin cab and the, the rear half of the long hood next to the cab looked like a Baldwin. And then from the front, it was an EMD. You know, it would look like an EMD, huh. SW900, SW1200. So it's it's a really neat hybrid type locomotive. And, and I kit bashed one you know, using, using shells and, and it's on a, an Atherin mechanism, but, um, they had 14 of those. There you go. And, and they were painted. Um, some of them got repainted into this is, this is the red and green scheme that you're showing. Um, but when they were delivered, they were, they were in the Reddings, um, Pullman green scheme. Wow. Um, now, uh, what's interesting is that the Reading wasn't the only railroad to have those SW1200Ms. The Frisco had some. Um, I believe the Northern Pacific had a couple. And the CNW had some. Um, so, you know, it, it and they and on the Reading, you know, they actually lasted up into Conrail. So wow. there are there are a number of. Um, there are a number of 
feasible road names that a manufacturer could do and and it wouldn't just be for um for uh for reading fans um it's kind of a cool know. looking switch engine yeah it was it was neat and they were uh, from what i've heard from from former reading and conrail guys is they pulled like anything they were they were reliable they were great pullers wow. um and they used them all over the system they used them you know on the cross line from reading to to rutherford they used them down the main line down toward philly and going over into jersey um you know they they would be that's the last thing that i need and and i've been bugging a certain <laughs> i've been bugging a certain manufacturer about them um for years every time i i go to springfield and and i see them at their at their booth i always say hey can you please make this Bowser not sponsored? I was gonna say, uh -huh. does that rhyme with Flouser? <laughs> yeah, does the yeah. company rhyme with Flouser? Yeah. Yeah. Hey. So, uh, go oh ahead. no, go ahead. No, go ahead, Tom. Finish no, it. I mean the the last the last I did have a conversation with with Lee English um, at Springfield this year, and and you know some of the some of the things that they're doing with their business. I mean, you know, the RS threes are coming into production. You right. know, they're they're there may be some changes afoot that, that may make something like this feasible. So um, I still have my, I still have my fingers crossed that one will be available one day. So, so before we get into the, uh, before we get into the real soup and nuts of the entire, my, my, one of my last questions I'm going to have for you, is there anything, is there anything that you've done on the layout that, you're particularly proud of that turned out far better than you expected and is kind of one of those things that's kind of a every time you'll go by it you're like boy i can't believe i actually pulled that off <laughs> <laughs> um well you know i i have um you know apart from the the general layout construction that i've been doing for the past seven years one of one of my favorite parts of the hobby is is structure building and mm. and over the past several years i've i've been delving more into craftsman kits mm. um and and so there are a, a number of craftsman kit structures um here in in the town of anvil which is above me you can't see it on the camera um that i've built over the past couple of years and you can see photos of those on the facebook page but there are some some of the structures that i've done are are ones that i'm very very proud of they they turned out better than i had hoped and and they really look nice when they're sitting here on the layout um but no, if you go to the are any of those? Did you do use the Glowforge for any of those? Because I know you have a Glowforge. Uh, no, I haven't. Um, I, I do have a Glowforge. I do have. Uh, it's a laser cutter. Um, eventually, I will be using the Glowforge to create some custom structures based on Reading prototypes that you just can't get kits for. Um, I just haven't um, sat down and and really finished any designs to the point where i have something that i can produce and then build but yeah that is on the that is on the agenda 
you gotta uh, i keep i feel like i'm like the only one well, asking oh, no, oh okay I'm, right. I'm in the i'm in the background producing all right so, so you, you you do you so i guess the uh i don't even know if you call it the elephant in the room really but it would be more of the million dollar question is how in the heck do you plan on operating this thing once it's all set and ready to go for operations like have you sat down and figured out how many people you're you're realistically going to need to pull off a a full session or are you going to do sessions in segments or uh, talk a little bit about your your operating plan okay well um i i do have the good fortune to live in in southeast pennsylvania which is a a hotbed of operating layouts um you know and and before i before i started building the uh the cross line here i've i've had the the privilege of operating on jim herzog's reading layout and larry reynolds mm. pensy layout and a number yeah. of other another of um, another a number of other layouts in the area and so through that you know i've i've made the acquaintance of a lot of guys that are are heavy into operations you know you see these guys at the same, you know, at, at all these sessions, you know, throughout the month and everything. And so, um, you know, fortunately, you know, living where I do and, and, you know, we have, um, you know, we have some very active, um, NMRA chapters that are, you know, have a lot of focus on operations. So I was never really worried about finding operators just because, you know, when, when everybody heard I was building a layout, you know, the inevitable question is, okay, well, when are you starting operations and can I come? <laughs> you um, don't even have a yeah. two by four cut yet, but hey, let's right. go run right. trains, right? Well, you want, you want to <laughs> operate, come help build. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so, so that, you know, uh, yeah, I'm not worried about having operators um, and, you know, what we, what we need to figure out is, um, is how many operators I'll really need. I mean, mm -hmm. I know there are some fixed positions like a dispatcher, a yard master at Reading, uh, a, a dedicated crew at Hershey, things like that. So I know, you know, right there, I've got, you know, four or five positions that are, that are fixed. Um, and then the question is, how many road crews can the layout support? And then that kind of determines how many operators I would need for a session. Um, we are moving forward on that. Uh, on March 20th, which is about three weeks from now, I am holding my first shakedown operating session. Awesome. I've, yeah. got, I've got about, I want to say, 11 people coming. Ooh. And we're what we're going to do is we're going to have two person crews. We're going to run through the schedule. Um, we're not necessarily going to run any locals and, you know, we're not doing car cards or any of that crap. Um, <laughs> not crap, but, you know. <laughs> oh, no, 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 be, no, 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 I get it. I totally it's, get it's it. It's very, we... the, the, the purpose of the purpose of the shakedown is number one to, make sure that the layout can handle it. We're, we're essentially stress testing things, right? Want to make sure that the power supplies and the wiring can take, 
you know, five or six trains running at a time? Um, you know, are, are the block detectors working? Um, you know, all of that, uh, you know, and, and things like that, you know, and, and it's really, you know, we're, and, and then also, you know, what I want, I'm going to do two person crews. One person's going to run the train. The other person's going to follow along with a notepad and a pen, and they're yep. going to write down every defect they find, every car that derails, every place it derails, everything that doesn't couple right, whatever. And then from there, we we have a punch list to work on. And then you know sure. after we after we do that, you know I'll I'll have a debrief with everybody and what worked, what didn't work. Um, you know, and and you know we're we're doing this kind of halfway through because I do have, for example, I have my automatic signals installed uh, mm. the entirety of the layout. I have some interlockings installed and and working. Um, but not all of them, you know, so there, there's still going to be a bit of, of, of mother may I <laughs> from a dispatching standpoint, but, um, it should be enough to, it should be enough to tell us if, um, if we're, you know, on the right track or if I should take up needlepoint. <laughs> so is that, does that mean, does that mean that you're actually like, as you're going through this process, and as you're doing the shakedown, and, and, and a shakedown is exactly like what you described. I mean, you're not trying to do anything in a prototypical manner at all. You're just trying to figure out whether or not the doggone layout's going to be able to handle what things are supposed to be running at what time, or like if you could throw five trains out there at one time, things like that, like you were saying. Right. But what, well, what I, it, do, I do have the, and I'm cutting you off. I'm sorry. No, no, that's okay. No. Oh, I was just going to say, when it does come time to doing the actual operations, are you looking to do things more towards, um, like like Luke Lemons on his Sue Second Sub is trying really hard, and he's learning more and more as more information comes out. He's trying really hard to go based off of the 1979 timetable that the Sioux line had for their mm -hmm. train operations. Is that kind of what the plan is for the cross line as well as to kind of go off yes. of the the timetable operations of the era and, and go from there. And if that's the case, do you feel almost as if by looking at that, that you may need to kind of supplement because there might not have been enough traffic at one point during that era that you, you don't, does, I mean, does that question make any sense, Tom? It, am it I asking that? Am I asking that the right way? It, it makes total sense. And let me just make some room here so I can grab something. I actually do have the Reading freight schedules for a number of years. Uh, I think I have 68, 70, 72, and 75. And we're going to, we're going to run based off of the, the 1972 freight schedule for now. Um, and so... You know, I have for for that um, for that schedule. I have the arrival and departure times of all the trains. I have the classifications of all the trains, and I also have, excuse me, the the stops that they make mm -hmm. along the route. So I know which which trains run straight through from from Harrisburg to Allentown. 
which ones stopped at Lebanon, which ones stopped at Hershey, whether they picked up, whether they set out, whether they picked up and set out. I, I have all of that information. And eventually that's what we're going to to base things on. Um, and so you can see here so like, in, in, in preparation for the the shakedown session, I'm in the process of actually staging the trains in the staging yard based on the schedule. Um, you can see here, for example, HBX is the Harrisburg to Bethlehem Extra. That's a bituminous unit coal train for Bethlehem Steel. Um, HA-15 is a manifest from Harrisburg to Allentown. And then down here, you know, in uh, in Allentown staging going west, you have its counterpart, Allentown to Harrisburg 2, Jersey City to Harrisburg, Bethlehem to Harrisburg. You have the Grace Mine Ore train here in Philly staging. That won't run yet because Philly staging is not connected to the layout. But, you know, event, we are going to, when we, when we run the shakedown, it, it's, it's not just about the mechanical stress testing. It's also figuring out the schedule, the workings of the schedule and, and what, you know, how we stagger everything. I'm not planning to run with a, uh, a fast clock, um, you know, like at and, like at, at like at all at any one point or at, no, I I, well, I don't I I don't plan to run with a fast clock ever. Um, hmm. We what we what we normally do on the on the layouts that I operate on, we basically operate in sequence. You know, so based on the the departure times of trains, that's how you order them. So it's you know it may be that two westbounds come out first and then an eastbound comes out and and what happens happens um and and then at the end of the session wherever you just end is where you pick up at the next session i would imagine right. or something along those lines or or you know either we pick up at the next section or uh, most of the most of the operate most of the layouts i operate on they will restage in between sessions now one of the one of the the little bonus features that we worked into the planning um, is, uh, and we'll get to the JMRI question in just a minute. Um, <laughs> the um, the uh, one of the nice little bonus features that that Bob and I put in when we uh, when we did the when we built when we planned the layout is that the staging at each end is it's the layout the entire layout is essentially a big dog bone with a loop at each end so a train coming in eastbound to allentown from harrisburg will run around a, a return loop go into its staging track and it will be pointed out and ready um to go west so that that does two things. Number one, it allows me a continuous run option if I ever just want to come out here and play, which I do. Um, but it also allows me to reuse a train during a session. Um, yeah, what are we looking at here? Oh, so you're what you're saying, Tom, is you could use a train. Say, say at the start of the session, you might run a train. The very first train out might end up being the the twelfth train you run as well as the same session. It's just a different symbol. Right. Yeah. 
that's a pretty efficient way of using the power in the, in, in the rolling stock that you have there. Yep. And, and it's actually prototypical because the Redding did run a lot of their trains as, as essentially as turns, just a turn yeah. over a lengthy distance of the entirety of the cross line. So for example, um, train HB6, which was known as the Bethlehem Star, it ran between Harrisburg and Bethlehem and it brought um, raw materials and things for the, Bethel the, the steel mill at Bethlehem. That would leave Rutherford at like six o'clock in the morning. It would get to it would get to Bethlehem. Uh, it would get to Bethlehem Steel, you know, late morning, dump its train, and then it would pick up a westbound train that was BH fifteen that would leave Bethlehem around three o'clock. Same consist, same crew, and they would run to Rutherford. So through you know, through careful management of, of the motive power and, and things like that, I'll be able to emulate that, which, which allows me to make very efficient use of, of the staging tracks that I have. Right. Um, you know, it, it also, um, you know, it, it, it also, you know, allows me to, to be efficient with, with rolling stock and, and things like that. That's yeah, awesome. so that'll that that's going to allow you to be able to not have to really end up having to have seven or eight hundred cars for the for the layout. You could actually do more with less, so to speak. You know, yep. that's um, that's part of it as well. Yeah. So then, part of that part of part of that sequence now just brought up another question in mind is the fact that how do you cycle cars through? No, I, I, I okay, I got to. Okay, so so like at Hershey, I know Hershey takes certain types of cars and you, there's, you know, stuff there to set out and pick up and things of that nature. How do you if you have a train that has gone into into a staging at one at one end and it might be the second or third time around the layout with that consist, do you have plans on swapping certain portions of that train out or the power out to try to keep things a little more on the fresh side or is it just one of those things where hey this thing's working great i don't want to mess with a good thing let's just leave this together and this is just going to be the way it is i at, at this point i don't plan on necessarily breaking up the locomotive consists um sure because that brings yep. up issues with speed matching and, and right. You know, right. and, and things like that, as far as, as far as the, the trains go themselves, um, you know, there's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be using single cycle waybills rather than the, the four cycle waybills, meaning that you have, you have a car card, you put in the waybill that this train is is getting set off at Hershey, and let's say it's loaded with cocoa beans. Okay, now the next session that car has dumped its cocoa beans. It's an empty to go back to wherever it came from via, you know, home road routing. Okay? Right. Yep. But now, if if I have, let's say I have a a, a car in the layout that was just coming from Allentown and it was going to somewhere in West Virginia, you know, it just went via 
Rutherford and Hagerstown or whatever. It went now, to like a point beyond on the layout. Right, went... A point beyond the beyond the basement, beyond the barn, whatever you want to call yep. it. Um, you know, and then coming back now, it could be going to to New York or Maine or whatever. You know, it's it's just all how you. Yeah, there you go. That's um that's one of the empty cars, and that's actually based on a, a prototype Reading ticket that wow, that I made cool. up. Yeah, and that's that's actually for a, a Western Maryland hopper. So, um. If it's if it's empty, you know it should be going back to the Western Maryland, and the connection, the the nearest connection to the Western Maryland would be Rutherford, which is is Harrisburg or, or you know the gateway down to Hagerstown. So, you know if, when when that car that 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 car is actually part of HBX, which is the the bituminous unit train that fed Bethlehem Steel. So when that train would come back, or when that car would come back west it would go to Rutherford to be handed off down to the Western Maryland. So, you know, it, it's, it's all, I'm not doing anything um, weird as far as car forwarding. I've been, I've been following a lot of um, what Bill Neal has been doing on his uh, PRR panhandle division. And um, a lot of the articles that uh, Tony Thompson has written um in, uh, in model railroad hobbyist, he's got a lot of information on, on waybills and things like that. And I put my waybills, I don't have any here. I should have brought them, but I use baseball card sleeves. Oh, that's nice. a great idea. So there the, so the, so the, the card card goes in the baseball, uh, the baseball card sleeve waybill tucks in front of it. And then it's just a matter of pulling one waybill out and swapping another one in, um, you know, so it's going to take a lot of work to set up, but it, it'll add more flexibility and more variety where, you know, in your traditional four cycle system, you see the same car going back and forth every couple sessions and, oh, okay, here comes the flat car full of tractors. Time to put that on the team track, you know, every <laughs> third or fourth session. Right. You know, right. so... Yeah. So I, I have a, I guess a question. So we've, we've talked about a few places on your layout. We've talked about um, the whole train Hershey. I'm guessing you're going to have the chocolate uh, factory on the layout. Yep. So what, so it sounds like you have quite a diverse, um, I guess, um, industry list or a customer list on your railroad. So what type of like other cars do you have out there? So we talked about the coal train. Um, what does Hershey get for like, well, Her Hershey would get, um, box cars full of bagged cocoa beans. Um, they were not shipped in, in bulk, like in a covered hopper or something like that. Sure. The cocoa beans came in by boat, um, to Philly, to New York, to Norfolk. And, and they were, they were in bags in, in ships. They got transloaded into box cars. And then the, the box cars were, were hauled up to Hershey where it was some poor sap's job to, to cut the burlap sap, sacks open and dump them and have them conveyed into these big concrete cocoa bean silos. Oh, my God. Um, so in addition to the cocoa beans, they got things like sugar. Um, they got, uh, you know, tin foil and wrapping paper and cardboard boxes, oh you know, all kinds of stuff that would support a, a major candy making operation. And then they shipped out 
empties and they also shipped out box cars full of candy bars. There was an incredible show that my conductor and I watched at work one time. I hate well, to say while you were on loud. lunch break? Yeah, on lunch break. <laughs> and it was about, uh, it was part of it was about the Hershey Empire and how he built the and manufactured the town and built the town and and the fact that uh he, he was being advised to not build it where he did and he says no i'm building it here because this is in the middle of farm country i milk. need milk exactly and the yeah. and the milk is and the milk is from what i understand it's still brought in from local mm -hmm. areas it's not brought in it's not powdered at all it's 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 brought in from local farmers nope. It is and, it is sourced locally. Yep, it um, is. That's a, it was it's just an incredible. If I could remember the name of the show, I would. But it, it was on it was the History very, Channel. I it was on I've History the, Channel. Yeah, yeah. I've seen the same. I saw the same one. There's yeah. there's been there there's been a lot written and published and and filmed about Milton Hershey and the whole Hershey story, and um, you know, it, it's actually a really cool story. I mean, the 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 whole company really i mean it's it's a it's a publicly traded company now but the main beneficiary is the milton hershey school that he hmm. set up um it, it's a, a boarding school that was set up for for underprivileged children it still exists today um and and that's where a lot of the the benefit and and the 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 financial you know uh value and everything goes um the town itself has has changed a lot over the years. They they have moved most of the candy manufacturing. They've moved to other plants. They've even moved it some of it to Mexico. There mm. still is one plant. I mean, it used to be when you would drive through Hershey, you'd put your car window down and that chocolate smell would just hit your nose. Um, now there still is one plant in town that makes i think they make reese's peanut butter cups and, and reese's pieces mm. but that's on the on the west side of town um you know but but it's still a very big it's still a very big presence there's the, there's the hershey park amusement park the hershey stadium you know the hershey there's there's chocolate world where you can actually go in and ride and they do a tour of the whole chocolate making process and all of that um, and you can still see, even though the uh, even though the plant's not there anymore, they still have the the massive um, concrete cocoa bean silos that you oh. can see that they, oh. that they stored the cocoa beans in. So so with with uh, so uh, you know now I'm fixated on Hershey now. Um, so <laughs> are you are you modeling the entire complex or just a portion of it? Um, no, I'm I'm going to I'm going to model. Uh, a good portion of the plant. I'm going to model the the cocoa bean silos. They're they're perfect. You know, PVC pipe yeah. is perfect for those. Sure. Um, I'm also going to model some of the plant buildings. And what was interesting was the the cocoa bean silos were on one side of the tracks, and the plant was on the other side of the tracks. And there was a large conveyor going over the tracks that would that would run the beans into the plant. So we'll model that and, and we'll model um, some of the plant buildings with the spurs for the different raw materials, you know, the, the sugar, the uh, coal for the powerhouse. There was a big wow. brick powerhouse that they had. Um, and then, you know, uh, a spur for the, um, 
the boxcars. Hershey had its own um, fleet of, of insulated boxcars that uh, that they shipped uh, finished goods out in. And, the, and um, was that was that in capture service where they basically were they shipped out and came back to Hershey? They um, they yeah, they were they shipped out and then they had uh, they had return empty stenciling on them. Some of them went to Hershey. Um, some of them were stenciled for other other Hershey plants in the country. Wow, that's fantastic. That's really cool. So we got some coal, we got some candy. Um, I'm guessing you're, the steel mill uh, with Allenton and and that you're going to have some of those. Yep. And actually, you know that you you bring up a, a great point. Um, a couple weeks ago, um, Jim Herzog was was here visiting, and um, he's been a great help and a, and a great source of info and inspiration. And we just were, were here talking. He, he hadn't seen the layout in a while. And, um, you know, it, we were, we were talking about Anvil, which is a, um, it's a town that we're, we're kind of freelance. It, it is a real town on the, on the line, but we're kind of taking a freelance approach to modeling. Um, and we, while Jim was here, we kind of hit on a place where I could put the Millard's Quarry, which was originally owned by Bethlehem Mines, and it was a, a source of limestone. Limestone, right? For Bethlehem Steel. Yeah, yep. yeah. It's still in business today um, for limestone, for ballast, and things like that. But it was it was the main source of limestone for Bethlehem Steel, and so like we found a place where we could put that in. I'm like, all right. I'm, I'm going to modify my track plan and we're going to do this. Sweet. I also have, um, I'm, I'm modeling the, the Joanna turn, which was an iron ore train that came up from uh, a Bethlehem owned iron ore mine South of Reading and ran up to Bethlehem. So I'm going to have the bituminous coal. I'm going to have the iron ore and I'm going to have the limestone and I'm going to have the westbound trains that took the finished goods, the I-beams, the ingots, you know, all of that yeah. stuff, the good stuff out of Bethlehem. And and the, the light bulb kind of went on that the, the purpose or, or the story of the layout is really the story of Bethlehem Steel in a way. And, and more sure. specifically, how the Reading supported Bethlehem steel. I mean, there were, there were several railroads that fed Bethlehem steel, but the, the, you know, the Bethlehem steel was the Reading's largest customer sure. for many, many years. And, and so really a, a big part of the reason for the cross lines existence was to feed those raw materials to the blast furnaces. Um, and, and, you know, as, as, you know, Jim and I were standing here talking that, that really became apparent to me. It was, it was like, I was modeling this stuff all along because, because it was there, you know, and I was trying to follow yep. the prototype and everything. And, and it, it really didn't come together for me until having that conversation and thinking, wow, okay, I've got this limestone traffic coming out of Anvil got the bituminous coming in, you know, I've, I've got, um, you know, I've got the iron ore 
you know, um, I've got it all, you know, yeah. so it, it really is that there, there really is a story here. I mean, you know, Hershey is certainly important, you know, the, the bridge traffic, you know, you know, there's a whole story there, but really the, the story of, of the cross line is essentially the story of the steel. You know, and so th- I think this is one of the underlying things for me, and this is going to get a little touchy feely, but you know, I don't care. It's our podcast. I'm just going to say what I want to say. So I, I really think that this, uh, it's the, uh, one of the things or the, the, the bits of allure or the things that attracted me to, to, to your layout is learning about all of these industries. And then the, the underlying story that your, your model railroad, you know, was a huge contributor to, um, American industry in, in the 1960s and 70s. And um, I just think that's really, really an awesome narrative that you can weave into, you know, your, your model railroad. So I just, I don't know, for me, that's a, another little bonus when, when, a, when, a, when a model railroad has a backstory or has a purpose, you know, I think for me that, yep. that really ties, ties it all together. When you came to that epiphany, Tom, did you uh, actually have to sit down and say, "Holy crap! I, I'm actually, I'm actually, this all actually makes sense now." You know, I I kind of did for a little bit. I I kind of was like, "Wow!" I mean, there, you know, it was, it was honestly, it was staring me in the face the whole time, and I just really didn't see it. And, well, and, and sometimes that's what it takes. So as somebody from the outside looking in to help you see what's right in front of you that you don't, you just, yep. you know, it's there. It's just, you know, it's like two plus two equals South Dakota. Nobody's yeah. going to tell you it's <laughs> yeah, four. It, it, it really, you know, <laughs> it, it, you know it, it really did. It, it really did floor me. And, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's funny because, you know, I have, um, you know, for the past several years, I've, I've been presenting clinics on, um, you know, I've, I've been um, doing clinics on my layout and everything and the prototype and all of that. And, you know, after after I had that revel- revelation, I was like, uh, you know, I was like, oh, my God, I, I need to I need to totally revise my clinic. <laughs> do you, now- do you see yourself? Do you see yourself revising anything else? else on the layout because of this or or is this going to affect like the late the future of the layout at one point like um where do you see knowing all of this now where do you see the end game on this whole layout well it is it is going to cause some changes on the track plan um what and this is another another lesson that i've learned over the years um going back to your earlier question about what worked or didn't work when I was, when I was doing the, the track plan and, um, you know, doing the original, uh, you know, laying the track for, for Hershey and stuff, I was, um, I was laying things out based on prototype information. I had prototype track charts and things like that. And um, in, in doing that, I have, devoted way too much space to Hershey in, in terms of the storage yard, the, the capacity in the storage yard, yeah. the length of the, the length of the track, the dump house tracks for the cocoa bean cars. Um, 
And and the the reason I say I devoted too much space is that when I think about the length of my staging tracks and how long of a train they can hold, the longest one uh, can hold, you know, around 30 cars, let's say. You know, for them to for for trains that have work at Hershey to be setting out or picking up, if they're you know to to have them picking up you know big cuts of cars like that, there, there's nothing I could do with them. I, they couldn't fit into staging. So um, you know, I can um, what I can do is I can actually shrink Hershey down, still have it be prototypically accurate just selectively compressing it versus mm-hmm. modeling it you know almost you know one for in the one. entirety yeah right. right right so you know still still gives the feeling um but that is going to give me space to model the stone quarry at anvil and and do so in a way where i'm not just forcing it in there just because I want to have a spur for stone cars. It's going to allow me to, to do it in such a way that it's operable and it doesn't look forced or, or unrealistic. You'll be able to, you'll be able to do it justice is what you'll you'll be able to do. And and there'll be enough space between Anvil and Hershey that there's, that there's distance resembling what's on the prototype. Now that's all we haven't even started that. That's not going to, happen until after the shakedown but we already kind of have a sense of, of what we need to do there so yeah that that is that is a, a change that this this revel revelation is going to cause wow oh man i'm i i don't know i just i get i kind of get geeked out about this but it's just um i just i i can't i can't wait to, to see the uh the the outset of your shakedown session uh, to see what other changes you're going to come up with, and then, and then getting that that stone quarry in there too. I think that's going to be really. I, I don't know. I just I like <laughs> I like where where you've made the changes on your layout over the course of of time here. So, I think it's all everything that you've done has had a purpose, and um, it just kind of it it all fits in in my opinion. So, um, yeah. So just uh, we're 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 going over the two hour mark here. As per our normal, yeah, we're gonna keep it to an hour. Oh, that's a bunch of malarkey. Well, yeah, that lasted you, for like that lasted for like the first show. Yeah. yeah. Before so you we, before you kick me out, let me let no, me no, get no, to no, no. There's there's no kicking out here, Tom. I just want to uh, just remind our our friends out in the chat there. We still got uh, over 20 folks hanging out with us. So if you have any questions for Tom or the crew here, uh, put them in the chat, and I'll get them up there so Tom can can feed them in here. So. Um, but yeah, Tom, um, so, back to you. <laughs> so let me, so let me talk about the, uh, let me talk about the JMRI stuff and the signaling. Yes. The so, JMRI. Yes. Um, it, it's, it's been, uh, it's, it's definitely been a, a long process to, to get to this point with the signal logic, but I actually enjoy it. Um, you know, I've, I've always been fascinated by, railroad signals ever since I was a little kid, you know, watching there, there was, um, when, when I was a kid, uh, we, we moved out of the city when I was about six and, and we moved a couple blocks from, um, one of the Reddings branch lines and there was an interlocking signal there and you could see it from the road when we would drive by 
and you could see if it was all red or whether it was yellow or whatever. And it didn't take me long to figure out that if it wasn't all red, that meant a train was coming at some point. So <laughs> from little on, from little on up, I've always been fascinated by by railroad signals. And and so when I you know started on this layout journey, I knew that I wanted to have a signal system. Yes. You know, and and so, um. You know, I, I figured JMRI was was the easiest way to do that. As as much as I would love to have a uh, a prototype CTC machine, you know, over in the over in the family room to have the dispatcher completely removed from the layout, like uh, like on Mike Burgett's uh, CNO layout. Um, I knew that that was one thing that that I could not. Uh, I could not sneak past my wife as, as tolerant as she is. I think that's where she would draw the line. So, um, so I, I've a, decided a to go the signals here quick Tom, that you have out there. Okay. So I decided to go with JMRI. And, um, so we have, we have automatic signaling, uh, in between interlockings, um, and uh, I'm using the the replica CTC panel, the the replica. I'm sorry, the replica union switch and signal panel stuff that that comes bundled into JMRI. Um, I'm not using CATS because that display is too modern for my era. I, I want something that um, you know is is uh, relevant to the time period I'm modeling, which for the Reading was either. GRS equipment or or union switch and signal. So I'm using the the replica union switch and signal levers and knobs and all of that. Um, and and I'm I'm programming the uh, the signal logic by hand um, based on what I've learned over the years about Reading signaling practices. That's actually my uh, my staging yard um, controller that I built. Uh, if you push one of those buttons on the staging tracks, it'll automatically line the turnouts for the um, for the particular track, either going into the yard or coming out of the yard. Also, you have all your switches for your staging uh, route program, then. Um, up in Rutherford, I do because that's at the top of the layout, and you really can't reach it. Right down in down in Allentown at the bottom, it's all it's ground throws. Gotcha. Because you because you can reach it, but up at Rutherford, it, it's dispatcher control. R just because Rutherford is that's where those beautiful curved turnouts are. Yes, yep, that's where the the curved uh, the lead if is. Go, if you go down one, Andy, from that right there, yeah, you can see the uh, the curved uh, eastbound ladder that's all hand laid. Um, Val and and James hand laid all of that over the course of uh, a few months. Wow. Um, yeah, that is, you're looking at the Rutherford staging yard, which is about eight and a half feet off the floor. It's about a foot and a half down from the ceiling. Wow. So you, know, yeah, you can you see to, it's pretty close. Yep. You have to use a step stool to uh, access it. No, in that picture, when I was there, none of that stuff on the left was there. Oh, the, the scenery there. I mean, the, the tracks were in place, but none of that scenery was there, right? No, I don't think that the work, I don't think the, uh, I think that was a bare wall. It was just 
being laid out, I think. Oh, if I remember okay. right, I, I think if I remember right, because it's been several years. But... It, it has been a while, but I, I thought we were running from end to end when you were here, but maybe not. It's it's been a while. Yeah, Rutherford was still just getting finished at that end. Yeah, with you know, uh, and then it went up and around the uh, infamous Millennium Falcon, the Millennium and... Falcon loop. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah the Millennium Falcon loop. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I mean, the the signal logic, you know, it, it's been it's been interesting um, to to learn how to program it, and and I have some friends that are signal geeks, and and they've been a friend of mine, Rich White. His dad was a signal maintainer for the Reading and Conrail, and he he knows he has all kinds of info and everything. So I've been picking his brain. Um, you know, on, on things. And, and so that's been a, a big help to having things be reasonably accurate. Now I know what's going to happen is people are going to come here and they're going to pick it apart. So, but the nice thing, the nice thing about JMRI is it's easy enough to change. You uh, can change it, right? If, if you, yeah. if you find, you know, if you find something needs to be adjusted, you know, you can, it's a couple mouse clicks and you can change it, but it's, it's so, it's so fun to, you know, throw that lever and press that code start button and to hear the little relays clicking and, you know, watch the, the signal aspect change and know that, you know, that, you, you know, that it's the, the signals right based on the occupancy ahead of it and all of that. It's uh, and then when it when a train passes a signal that the signal drops to red and all that, you know, it, it's it's really do you I, have I the like little watching. ding? Do you have the little bell that goes off on there for when it goes past in a, uh, a, a, I do. Uh, he does. You, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. And, That's and perfect. it's actually, it's, it's, it's actually annoying as, as all get out because, um, if, if you have the way I have that set up is, is through logic that if that particular sensor goes active, yep. ding, ding the bell. But what that means is if you have, let's say you have a, a train that where a car passes over it, or maybe the resistor's fallen off or something, if that I need to tweak it so that if that um, if the if the occupancy drops out and then comes back, the logic looks at it like a new thing and it plays the bell again. So it'd be like ding. Ding. <laughs> you know so it's it, it's not without its annoyances but um but yeah the the relay clicking sound is, is yeah. pretty cool that's um, cool so I, I have a question tom was there was there any i guess what was what was the learning curve uh like um you know to to start figuring that out was it a pretty quick thing for you to pick up on or was there was there some some troubles and, and tribulations along the way? Well, it, it you know it definitely has it definitely has a learning curve, um, and and it actually has for something like this there there's a hardware and a software component to it, right? So if you yep. look behind me here, um, you can see these are um, the RR circuits um, block occupancy boards. So each one of these goes to a block on the layout. And it'll light up when um, when a car or an engine is on that particular section. Nice. That feeds into this white box over here, 
which is called the, the tower controller. This is also made by RR circuits. And then this feeds into the LocoNet, which then on the LocoNet connects into this little box, which is the RR circuits loco buffer, which feeds into the computer. And this is the this is the connection between um the computer and and the layout and, and no the, i'm not mark i am not running lcc i'm running a uh, regular logo net connection um so so you have the hardware um to drive the occupancy and then let me come over to this side now most of my um in fact i think yeah most of the the turnouts on the layout that are not ground throws um, most of the turnouts that are hand thrown are controlled by servos and those are driven by um, this board, which is from Tam Valley Depot. Uh, it's now uh, by another company because Duncan has retired. This is the quad LNS board. These cables go to the servos and then this goes to the loco net so that this feeds the turnout position into the computer through the network so that when I'm doing the signal logic, I'll know, hey, if this turnout's thrown this way, you need the signal to display X. If it's thrown the other way, display Y and what have you. And then this, this board coming off of the quad board is the, um, the Tam Valley signal driver board. Each one of these wires goes to an LED for one of the signals down on the layout. And then through um, uh, through JMRI has uh, signal mass logic and, and signal yep. logic in there that you program this board so that, you know, this pin is the red LED on the top head. This pin is the yellow LED. This one's the green and so forth and so on. And then as you enter those things into JMRI, you can drive them through the software. So huh. you have you have the combination of, of getting your hardware configured right to do what you want. And then you have to learn the logic and the programming in JMRI to, to manipulate the hardware the way you want it. Now, when I was a, when I was a kid, I was a bit of a, a computer geek. So I did a fair amount of programming. So, so the logic aspect of it, the logic aspect of like, you know, if this, then do this, right. You know, that, that kind of is intuitive to me. Sure. Um, you know, but, but it's definitely, uh, it, it's definitely not for the faint of heart. So basically what you're saying, Tom, is with all that hardware and the computer stuff, it, whenever you throw a switch on the layout, some lady in Germany's garage door goes up and down, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That's I mean, it. that's that's basically what we're talking about here. I mean, because that seems like have this is just kind of a fun a fun question. Honestly, have you ever kind of like in the back of your head kind of thought try to figure out how many miles worth of wire you have underneath the layout yet? Oh my God. I, I no. 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 Do you no. want to know that answer? No. All I know, all I know is all I know is I, I am well into my bo second box of Cat Five 
Oh, jeez. Which is what I use for, yeah. for the block detection and, and the, the signal wires. It, um, it, knowing you, though, I mean, you've got things pretty well isolated. So if there is a problem on the layout someplace, you can revert back to, okay, that's, you can start back at that that area's block detection yeah. and then go back from there. And you can kind of reverse analyze everything yep. to try to pinpoint where things are. I mean, because it would actually be an absolute nightmare if you had a short someplace and weren't able to do that you know i mean we have everything broken up into power districts everything is is documented i i don't have it on this table but i have a binder i have a binder with everything i have a binder with all of the um all of the the track you know the the block uh detection you know what what sensor id it is what what block it's you know what board it's on what controller it's on all of that we have everything documented um and you have to for a big layout like this to to exactly to your point um with uh with the troubleshooting and everything like that and we've had we've had some some you know some mystery shorts and and some weird stuff happen and if we wouldn't have had the documentation that we've had you know we we would have been tearing our hair out um i to to mark i wanted to address mark stafford's question um it it is a possibility and that 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 we will see some overloading and some some lag and that's part of what we want to see in the in the shakedown session is when we have that many trains in motion and and that many commands going back and forth through the loco net between the signal system and the throttles um, you know, are we going to have problems and do we need to split, do we need to split the networks and have a separate network for the signaling versus a separate network for right. the throttles? Are, so are you going to, pur- are you going to purposely run it to fail? Just, no, I'm not going to run it to fail, but we're going to try it when we, when we do the shakedown, we're going to try and run it as, as hard as it would be run in a, in a, in, in real life conditions. Gotcha. I I got nothing more. I I I don't know what else we can ask them right now. I mean, it's it's. Uh, well, I think I think there's gonna be a. I mean, Tom, there thank might you. be a part. There might be a part two there, to this whole I think, thing. I think there's there's gonna be a another another session here with with Tom uh, uh, about his layout and and specifically about the operations piece. I think we've only just scratched the surface because I think there's. Um, you know, with the, the paneling stuff that you've done and um, how you're setting up your, your car cards and then just the, you know, really diving into the signal logic. I mean, we, we got into it a bit tonight, but um, I think there's a potential for a follow on. So uh, before we wrap up things tonight, um, <clears throat> I do, I just want to uh, give a, an opportunity for the folks out in the chat. If they have any uh, final comments, questions for Tom, uh, please get them in. Um, but Tom, was were were there any other topics that you wanted to hit on tonight? I mean, so I, on my list of things uh, that I had here, we we talked about the building, um, we talked about your layout design and concept, operations, the type of equipment that you had. I mean, we we talked about a lot of a lot of stuff about your layout. Um, 
is there anything else that you wanted to to share with the the group I, tonight? I think we've um you know I think we've we've hit on everything at least that that comes to mind right now. Um, you know it's it's been it it's been a, a an incredible journey uh, over the past you know seven eight nearly I guess ten years until I almost ten since I put the building up. Um, but um, it, it's been really, it, it has not been without its frustrations, but at the same time, it, it's been, uh, it's been very rewarding. Um, you know, I, I think, I think I'll get it done. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm hopeful, but if I don't, I don't, you know, I'm having yeah. fun. I mean, it runs and it actually, you know, it runs well. Um, it, it's so, uh, enjoyable to, to take a train, you know, and run it from one end to the other, you know, with zero derailments, That's um, good. you know, and it can, yep. you know, the trains can handle the grades of the helix and the grades of the inclines around the walls. Um, you know, so, you know, it's, it's, we've, we've invested a lot of time and effort in, in doing it right. Um, you know, the only big do-over we had was that helix. Uh, but <laughs> enough said. I'm not even going to go there. That's we, that, we don't need to rake no, open those it wounds. Kind of a, it is a funny story. Oh, it, it's very, it, it's very funny. There, story. there are some, there are some funny pictures. If you dig back in the Facebook page, if you go back several years, there's, there's some, there, there are some very funny pictures of, of four guys trying to get that thing to go together right. Um, the caption and, uh, on the one of with all the pieces laying outside the barn on the grass is just. <laughs> yep. That's. <laughs> that was right before I threw him in the back of Deb's car and took him up to the burn pile. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so for those that joined late, just to, and, and, and to get the reference for what Tom's talking about uh, with his Facebook group, it's Tom Jacobs, 1970s Reading Company cross line layout. And you can search for that on Facebook and look him up there. Um, he's got quite the the content library there of uh, the doc the the documenting his journey on building his fantastic uh, mushroom design layout. So make sure to check him out there. He's he's uh in in my opinion one of the one of the top personalities out there in model railroading. Always good with answering a question. All that good <laughs> oh stuff. God. I don't know. Yeah, the bar's kind of low. <laughs> I know. Well, it's just <laughs> been me and Mike lately. So yeah, you, know. you got to remember. I, I think, I think for, for certainly, you know, being responsive to questions and, and, you know, you know, come, you know, being transparent and honest with your process. I think, I think that's certain, you know, you don't hide, you know, the mistakes in that. And I guess from my, from my standpoint, that is a you know, I guess from for me, you're you're one of the 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 top folks out there um, publishing content and and kind of the big one of the big personalities in my opinion of of model rail railroading. So, well, thank yeah, you. check them out. Check thank them out. You. Well, and and it's you know it it it's you know I, I appreciate you saying that, and you know I I always do try to you know answer people's questions, and and I certainly you know, welcome any, any feedback, you know, positive as well as constructive. And I mean, I try to answer questions and, and try to be as helpful as I can, um, you know, for the, for the simple reason that as, as I was getting started in the hobby, a lot of people helped me, 
You know, a lot of yeah. people, you know, taught me the right way to do things or, or, you know, were there and, and patient with me as a new modeler asking questions or, or all of that. So, you know, this, this is a, a social hobby <coughs> by definition. And, and, you know, I feel like we all, you know, those of us that have been in it for a long time, you know, we kind of have an obligation to pay it forward. So, yeah, I'm yeah. always I'm always happy to answer questions or, you know, offer opinions or assistance or anything I can do. Yeah, fantastic. Mike, uh, any any final thoughts here before we uh, tie down for the evening? No, my brain's <laughs> fried. I tell All you right. what, I, I had I had an absolute blast, Tom. This yeah, this is, was fantastic. This it was, has been a lot of fun. Yep. So well, thank you for having me. I appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> it's it's been a it's been a great uh, great podcast. Um, thanks for the the folks out in the chat. I've stuck around to the end tonight. Uh, I'm still carrying about 20, 20 people out in the chat. So thank you again for all your support. And then uh, I just want to uh, give a couple of self serving shout outs here for the the podcast. You can certainly check us out in our Facebook group, which is the second uh, section podcast out on Facebook. Um, and, and meet up with the community out there. A lot of people posting, uh, progress shots on their models and their layouts, asking questions and, and just kind of getting together to have fun. And then the second piece is if you want to get in contact with, uh, myself or Mike here at the second section podcast, you can head out to our newly formed website. It is a hot mess right now. Um, but, uh, check it out. It is functional. Um, the second section podcast.com. So, uh, make sure to link up with us out there. And again, if you want to catch the audio replay, um, you can catch us on iTunes, uh, Google Podcast, Amazon Podcast, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere you listen to all your favorite podcasts. So, uh, Tom, thanks again for, for sticking with us to the very, very end. Uh, Mike, sure. I think this was one heck of a show. Yep. And um, if anyone out there in... Uh, in our viewership or uh, listenership wants to send us a comment or a topic to talk about, hit us up. Um, we'll be glad to put it out there. So thanks everybody. And um, we're still got to work on this. this outro is, thing. I, I got, I have, I have one, I have one kind of figured out a little well, Mike, bit. Mike, take us out then. Okay. I'm going to try. All right. Yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be a, this is going to be an absolute disaster. I agree. No, I got the fire extinguisher out and ready. Oh, that's fine. All right. Thank you all for listening. Have a good evening and great modeling. Good night. <laughs>